Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. This is Lori Adams-Brown, and you are listening to episode 14. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free. Number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership. And it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today's episode is a very special one. I'm getting to interview my husband's best friend from high school, Dr. Eric Woodard. He is currently the Director of Fellowships and Internships at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. Before that, he served as Executive Director of the U.S. National Commission for UNESCO. And then previous to that, he was the special assistant and scheduler to Hillary Rodham Clinton during her time as U.S. Senator. But during the Clinton administration, he served in the White House as office manager to the First Lady, which is one of the reasons we're going to talk today um, just to get more information about what it was like to work in the White House as we're all headed to the polls for Election Day and just to hear an inside scoop of what it's like to be in the White House and see from that point of view everything that goes on in our nation's capital with our president and our first lady. Um, Some fun things about Eric are (laughs) he was a scuba diving instructor in 1994 to 1997 before he moved to D.C. and started working at the White House. He is an author of several books, um, including Your Last Day of School, 56 Ways You Can Be a Great Intern and Turn Your Internship into a Job, and also The Ultimate Guide to Internships. We'll talk a little bit about his growing up years in Thailand. He went to International School Bangkok, where he graduated along with my husband. And he holds a bachelor's in biology, a master's in international affairs from George Washington University, and a doctorate in human and organizational learning from the George Washington University. He um, has a beautiful wife, Carrie. We were at their wedding in D.C., and their reception was at the museum right before it opened, which was tons of fun. He has twins and two other children as well. So just a little bit of a language warning on this one. If you're driving in the car listening to this and have little ears in car seats behind you who are, you know, maybe learning their first 20 words and you don't want one of them to be a word they might get sent to the principal's office in kindergarten for at a Christian school, (laughs) just be aware. I wanted Eric, though, to bring his full self to this conversation today. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Eric Woodard. Hi, Eric. Lori Adams-Brown, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm so awesome. It's so good to talk to you. Well, I got to tell you, I've had about three Diet Cokes with an apple juice chaser, so let's light this candle. (laughs) You do not need Diet Cokes to make it through this. You already have enough energy going for you. (laughs) All right, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) 
low, I'm low energy, Lori. Yes, low energy. I've pretty much never seen that side of Eric Woodard. Well, it's such an honor to have you on the show today. Um, when it came to like this whole issue around being U.S. citizen and voting, like I could not think of anyone more perfect than you. So I'm super excited to dig into all things Eric Woodard today. But why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you currently do in the D.C. area? Yeah, well, first of all, I just have to start by saying how honored I am to be on this amazing podcast. If you haven't gone back and listened to every single episode, do, um, because I did, um, and it's awesome, and you should, and um, Lori and her um, lesser half-husband are some of my favorite (laughs) people in the entire world, so... um, uh, but yeah, so so uh, just a, a little bit of background uh, on me. I'll, I'll give you sort of my shtick. And, and uh, um, so um, I grew up uh, overseas. Was born in the states, but grew up overseas uh, uh, with actually Lori's husband. And um, and uh, came to the states when I was uh, eighteen uh, to go to college. And had as with a lot of kids who grew up overseas, had a really hard time. Wound up transferring college seven times. And uh, um, was sort of a, a lost soul, and I, I thought, man, I really got to get my act together. So I thought, well, what do I do? So I, so I wound up as a scuba instructor on Guam, and I was out there uh, um, diving with the fish, and and I thought, man, I really, I really got to get my act together. So I thought, what would be the most prestigious job in the world that I could have? And so I thought, well, that must be like the White House. So I took out this before the internet. I took out a piece of paper and. I wrote a, the worst cover letter ever written and, and sent it to, to the to the White House and thought, well, I'm never going to hear from those bastards. And uh, about a month later, I was riding my bike past the Guam post office and they came out and they're like, Eric, you, you got this you got this letter on White House stationery. So sure enough, it was a White House envelope. I opened it up and it was an internship application. I didn't know what the hell an internship was, but I was really good at filling out applications because I transferred so many times. So I filled that out, sent it in. I thought, man, I'm never hearing from those guys. But that got me thinking. I thought, man, I applied to some grad schools. I wound up landing in, in D.C. about a million years ago with like a backpack and flip-flops and a big bushy haircut. And and uh, um, I got to grad school at, at GW. And so, so I, but I, was, I bought a pair of running shoes. I was out running past uh, the National Mall, ran past the White House. I thought, you know, those White House bastards, they never even bothered to let me know about that internship thing. So I, um, so I found a payphone. I picked it up and I said, Hey, you bastards, what about that internship thing? And they're like, is this Eric from Guam? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm in DC now. They're like, man, you're supposed to start in the first lady's office on Monday. (laughs) So I took the Metro and got a haircut, bought a suit and showed up. And, and uh, for your listeners, they, they have to forgive me if their politics aren't mine, but this is back during the Hillary Clinton day. So I, so I, um, uh, I started interning for Hillary Clinton. Eventually I got hired and I uh, followed her to the Senate and the State Department, and um, and uh, and now I've sort of segued that. You know, we tried to make her president a couple times, and that, that uh, tried to segue to my current gig, which is uh, I, I directed all the internships and fellowships at the Smithsonian. Um, but sort of all during this time, I, I, I've seen you know just a, a lot. You know, the big, long, scary corridors of power in Washington D.C., and you know, the, yeah, I hung out with a lot of you know, muckety mucks and people you've heard in the news and, um, and, and especially having come from, from abroad and having had such a, you know, a tricky time when I first came to the States, I sort of, uh, have had a very long-term crash course in, you know, citizenship 101, government, politics, all the rest. So it's interesting that we have an election coming up. Um, 
Um, but I can talk more about that. But that's that's generally my long-winded deal. CNDC, we filibuster. Lori, we also swear a lot, so I'm going to do my best to keep this non-swear, but in the DC, we swear a lot. Not just a little bit, but a lot. So I'm going to do my best for you. Um, just so you know. It's okay. You just be yourself. And if they talk like that in DC, well, then we'll just have to adapt to that culture. <laughs> it's totally fine. We are all about it's adapting okay. to cultures, right? So, and learning languages. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, um, I love your story. It's so unusual and it's just so incredible to think that you were scuba diving in Guam and the next thing you know, you were working in the White House with the First Lady. And, um, and I do remember that being just that whole thing unfolding, you know, and Jason talking about it and we were like, what is going on? And it was so incredible. And then there was this moment where you even gave us a tour of yeah. the White House. And I so remember going into Hillary Clinton's office and seeing one of the things I really loved about it was seeing her. Um, it takes a village book that had been translated into all these languages. And I think it kind of just hit me the impact of even a first lady um, and what her impact could be around the world. And, and I just think when we think about the White House, it, for those of us on the podcast that are U.S. citizens, you know, a lot of people just dream of a chance to even tour it. But you actually had time working there and seeing the ins and outs of what it takes to, you know, be a first lady and be a president and the impact that that has. And so I would be really curious if you would tell us more about like kind of what that taught you about what it means to be a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, like a lot of, of folks who, you know, maybe lived abroad, especially grown up abroad, um, you know, you know, I came to the States, I was kind of a snob, right? I mean, I really was, you know, I was like, you know, I've been to, you know, 50, 60 countries, these, these <laughs> people, you know, they, I can't relate to them. And, you know, part of that was, you know, well thought, but part of it, you know, was I was a snob. <laughs> um, and it took me a while you know, and, and actually what's interesting, what sort of broke that down is when, is when I did meet Hillary Clinton, she was the only person I'd met that had traveled to more countries than I had. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so that, that actually gave her some, you know, like, that, like she was cool enough that I, like, I had to get off my high horse and be like, okay, this is the first lady, so maybe I shouldn't be such a snob. I mean, I'm sort of kidding, <laughs> not really. And so, um, you know, what I learned really quick um, is, is the importance of dealing with people where they are. Mm. Not where you want them to be, but where they are. Yeah. And that's true, you know, whether it's cross-cultural stuff or in politics, mm. right? And this is, you know, the people who are in positions of influence and power that I think really get it done are people who are masters at that. You mm. know, they deal with people where they are. Yeah. They, they don't dwell a lot in the realm of the should, they dwell in the realm of the is, and mm. they start from there. Um, and so that was a huge lesson for me. And then, of course, there was all the other, you know, the bald eagles landing on apple pie and, you know, seeing the, the white <laughs> marble, you know. And of course, the, and then I'll, I'll stop the filibuster. But the other thing that really got me during that time, you mentioned tours. Yeah. Is that I would see, you know, this is very stereotypical, right? But like the mom and the dad and the 2.5 kids from Lord knows where, USA, with the AstroTurf lawn, you know, being facetious <laughs> a little bit, but they show up. And they, um, uh, you know, they'd see all these monuments and these artifacts of democracy in our nation, and they would be inspired as I was. And just seeing that and seeing people get inspired and seeing, um, you know, the people I worked for inspiring people really inspired me. Um, mm. And it, it was actually kind of healing um, 
from the you know that that whole cross culture of just like schizophrenia um it helped a lot um it helps it helped really give me a compass that i i carry with me to this day most of the time yeah that's that's so great i'm so glad that that worked in that way for you because a lot of people go for many years um who've lived life like ours you know a citizen of one nation holding a passport from somewhere different than where you grow up and go to school and and live and all that and um, it can take a long time to kind of resolve some of those issues but it sounds like your experience of being in dc and working in the white house although some people end up getting jaded in those positions it did bring a lot of kind of um helping you make sense of everything which is really great it's really great to hear that and i would love for you to talk a little more also about i mean we are talking about voting which is happening really soon and um for the u.s citizens both in the u.s and abroad and everybody's around the world probably watching this election very closely um and so i'd just love for you to talk a little bit about what it means to you um to be able to vote as a u.s citizen yeah yeah absolutely well i don't know about you um um uh laurie and her husband came to my wedding i married up i married a a better looking smarter um my wife's better looking smarter than i am but (laughs) but 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 we get along so well not because we love the same things as much as we we, we get annoyed at the same things, right? You know, it's not just those that like, it's those that hate together, right? And so the thing about, I promise is getting to voting. The thing about voting is if you don't vote, you don't get to whine, right? If you don't vote, you don't get to complain. One of my favorite things to do is when people want to talk politics or so they come to me and they're like, oh, Eric, this is a terrible thing, blah, 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 blah. My first question to them is, oh, that's interesting did you vote? <laughs> and, you know, if they say no, I'm like, man, I got, I got nothing for you. You know, talk to me in four years, you know, do better next time. Because if you don't vote and you can vote, you don't get to complain, right? You don't get, you don't have the right to complain. Now, if you vote, one of three things can happen, right? Either you vote and we'll say the guy, hopefully it's a woman, hopefully it's somebody, you know, who's never had a position before. But if you vote, and your guy wins and your guy's doing a good job and people come, then you can defend your guy. Yeah. If you vote and your guy loses and the other guy's doing something, then you can complain against the other guy. Or if you vote and your guy starts doing a terrible job, then you complain about your guy and you voted for him. And he did. But either way, you get the right to complain. <laughs> Whereas if you don't vote, man, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying in the Bill of Rights, instead of the right to vote, we should really emphasize the right to complain, which is yeah. you know, preceded by the right to right? vote. Should be- I mean, what, what, what is freedom of speech, right? <laughs> That's I mean, true. isn't it really the right to complain? I mean, it's more complicated than that. It, it seems but like that. it's pretty much the right to complain. I mean, most of the time. Yeah, maybe. certainly the way things are these days on a lot of our news channels. <laughs> <laughs> or in your average uh, coffee shop, I don't know. Well, um, yeah, why don't we talk more about, this is so interesting, and we could take it a lot of different angles, but, you know, there's a lot of conversation this year, and we're seeing it already in the news, right? Um, A lot of the early voting, there's, you know, we're breaking records already for how many people are voting, and so, you know, we always have such a low turnout rate in the United States of people who actually vote that are eligible, and so I'd be curious to know why you think it's important for just as many people as possible to vote this election, but all elections. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's, I, I think, you know, at first it's important to look at why a lot of people don't vote. You know, there's been studies on this and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people choose not to vote because they, the main reason is they're like, it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to matter. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I always love, right. And again, this depends on, on where you're coming from politically is you get people and they're like, oh, the government, oh, government, this government. And I always like to remind people, dude, you're talking about yourself. You know that, right? You know, our constitution starts off, we the people, right? It's what Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address about of the people, by the people, for the people, yeah. right? There is no us in the government. We are the government. Lori, you're the government, I'm the government. We're all the government. Yeah. And, and people, get, and so, you know, the reason it's an important, um, and so I think, I guess where I'm going with this is when people realize that simple, truth that's written in the constitution of our country um again i'm talking here in the u.s but but when they realize that they are the government it, it helps bring home the idea that it does make a difference and of course in recent elections when these razor thin things that we've gone through where you know hundreds you know a couple hundred votes one way or the other made all the difference in the world yeah your vote does matter and again even even if you're in a state where the chances of your vote mattering given your politics and you know the predominant politics doesn't matter i still go back to that right to complain <laughs> right. it matters if you don't get to complain if you don't vote so even if you don't think it matters in terms of the result it matters in terms of your ability to complain for the next however many years it is. Um, just saying. Yeah, no, that's so good. And obviously you come at it with an experience of having grown up in Thailand um, and you went to international school Bangkok with uh, where my husband also went. And then you um, did, you know, some early years in Thai schools, if I remember. And I, I know that yeah. that always forms, you know, when we experience a totally different government growing up, it definitely relativizes how we look at, you know, our own government that we have passports in and we're citizens of. And so, you know, there's a lot going on in Thailand uh, this past couple of weeks and their whole experience with their own government. And so I'm sure that that's still kind of on your radar, but I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about just how that experience of growing up in Thailand formed you and taught you more about being a global citizen and even what it means to be a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a great question, Lori. And the thing that that gets me is, you know, this whole idea of public diplomacy. Because I remember, and again, this is a very, very biased viewpoint, and I offer it with, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know. But the one thing that always got me is some of the people that are, that the United States sends around the world, right? <laughs> and this is true then, it's even more so now post 9-11. And there's good reasons, you know, a lot of times we send people around the world and we put them behind a great big wall and we put them in air-conditioned buildings and they go to the PX and they don't have a lot of public diplomacy with the local people. Now yeah. we have other programs like Peace Corps and you say that, you know, maybe do a little bit better than that. But this, this, this vital importance of public diplomacy is, is so important. And at least in my experience living overseas, you know, American public diplomacy wasn't that great. <laughs> you know, a lot of the official U.S. folks you would see, um, they, you know, they, they, they were sort of really afraid of going native and they, you know, they, they kept an arm's distance as opposed to folks you might have seen firsthand like, you know, and again, some of the business people, some of the missionary people, some of the UN people, I mean, those, you know, they weren't representing any particular nation, but, you know, there were other sort of segment teachers, another really good example, development people, um, aid people, you know, where they were a lot better with sort of that public diplomacy piece. And that piece is so vital. You know, it's sort of, 
international civil society, you know, which, which is just, it's just crucial. And, and that's where these really strong, you know, student exchanges, that's where this, this stuff is made. So, so to get your question, you know, when, when I, you know, when I got to the white house and I would, you know, had the honor of, of traveling to some of these places and, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with the, you know, ambassadors because, you know, I was there advancing the president, the first lady, and some of these, some of these folks would, you, you know, try and pull this stuff, right? Well, we're, you know, we're, we're American, you know, and I was, you know, <laughs> trying to guess what, what the people I worked for would, would want in terms of the president, first lady, I, I knew that they would want to have interactions with real people in the countries they were visiting. You know, I would veto it. I'd be like, no, we're not doing that. You know? Yeah. And, and they would look at me and I'd look at them and I'd be like, I know where you're coming from. Cause I grew up with this. Yeah. You know, so this, this ability to, you know, project, um, you know, soft power uh, is what it's been called, but you know, this public, the citizen diplomacy is so vital. And so that's really when, when I was at the White House and I had my, you know, I got, I got all kinds of stories, but you know, I had my blue suit and you know, my, my, my red, white and blue tie and you know, my, you know, it was all buttoned up and I'd go <laughs> to these countries. I would really, you know, really try and, you know, remember that the, the one of the most important things that I could do and that I could, set things up to do was to ensure that that public diplomacy connection happened. Um, and, and, uh, and so I was really proud of that. Um, and that really helped me, um, sort of orient towards being able to, you know, put on my flag pin, you know, and be like, Oh yeah, even though I grew up overseas, I'm totally an American. I want, I want to represent the American Americans and be American. Um, because I want to have that public diplomacy with, with the rest of the world. Um, and I still feel really strongly, um, about that. And then later when I worked at the state department, I got into some UNESCO stuff and you know, it was, it was all that. Uh, and again, it goes back to dealing with people where, where they are, not where you think they should be, you know, but where they are. Um, but yeah, public yeah. diplomacy, huge, huge. Yeah. I, I so agree. And I think that, um, it's, it's one of those just beautiful parts of growing up in international school and like also just living in another nation for, you know, a lot of our childhood where you see things through a totally different lens. And for me personally, just when I vote, I mean, one of the biggest issues for me when it comes to voting for president is how are they in diplomacy? It's just such a crucial part because we, we felt it, you know, as U.S. citizens abroad, I, you know, things the U.S. presidents would do all throughout growing up. And for me, you know, the last 20 years of living in Asia, you feel like you're always having to answer for whatever president has been elected. And it just goes easier on us <laughs> abroad yeah. when we have a president who's considering uh you know the different cultures in which they're interacting and I, I just think it you know the role of the u.s it's such a you know a superpower and we have a lot of influence and in, with the united states president that we choose that president will travel they will make decisions that will affect a lot of people and a lot of nations and for me that's just one of the primary factors in who i choose for president and so i totally agree i'm so glad there were people like you during that time i hope there's people like that now and there will be over the next four years whoever ends up getting chosen um that that's something we really consider on a deep deep level another thing i wanted to ask was you know when we think about kind of the average u.s citizen um i'm sure there's a lot of different you know maybe even misconceptions about what it means to be u.s president what that job entails is there something you wish that you know just the average american would know um, about what it means and what that job entails as u.s president Absolutely. And it's real simple. It's one leg at a time, right? You know how presidents put on their shorts? (laughs) 
one leg at a time, right? I mean, that, I mean, these, these people in positions of power that you hear about in the news, I mean, they're just people. Yeah. Now, a lot of times they're really smart people or, you know, they're really, you know, the people that have got a lot of energy or, you know, competence, but they're just people. And they've got, you know, their own, you know, they have good days and bad days and they make mistakes and they, you know, have moods and <laughs> just like you and just like anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you know, what I learned, um, you know, in the, in the time that, you know, some of the best leaders I've been around, you know, they're really good at, you know, leveraging the power of people. Because one, one person, right, the president, like, oh, the president, they're all powerful. You know, there's a lot of checks on that power, yeah. right? And there's a lot of things they, they want to do that, you know, I mean, you'd be amazed how there's situations where you think, oh, the president, they can just do that. No, they can't. Or, yeah. you know, oh, they need, you know, $500 to buy a backdrop for a thing. Oh, they're the president. They, no, they can't. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, so you, I think people would be surprised that, you know, even a place like the White House, I mean, you know, there's, there were like, there was just a report where, what did they have in, in the, the North Lawn? There were raccoons. <laughs> I mean, that's like totally real, you know, or, I mean, there, there's stories where I remember I would, um, you know, I would just, I would have a dolly, um, and the first lady, um, would, would sign books to people. And I remember, you know, I would, just take like a, I put like books on a dolly and like roll it into the residence, you know, just me and a dolly, you know, and it was just, you know, I could have been in like a warehouse. I mean, it was just, you know, and she would sign them and I'd roll them back and it was, you know, it's just a place. And, yeah. um, um, and the people that work there, they, you know, in, in the good administration, they work really hard and they really care. Um, but it's, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not people I think sort of put it on this, you know, sort of mythical, you know, it's this it's this mythical place. You know, the West Wing's really small and there's little tiny offices and you know, there's people who are jerks and people who are nice <laughs> and you know, it's just like any other place. It just happens to be the White House. Um so yeah. 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 I think it'd be surprising to people. And and so I guess in saying that what I hope that hopefully that helps people do is you know, if they feel like, well, you know, why should I vote? I can't relate to the president or the person running for president. Well, chances are they're, they're probably a pretty, you know, pretty average person, even though, you know, they may be surrounded by Secret Service and, you know, they ride Green Marine One and Air Force One and all that. It's, at the end of the day, it's one leg at a time. Yeah, that's so good to remember. It's really especially good to remember right now, by the way, you know, so many of our presidents, at least in our generation, at least we've grown up seeing it kind of increase and in how vilified presidents get. And, um, you know, the more we start seeing them on TV and then on social media and like, you know, all these pictures and just things that used to be a little more, I don't know, it used to be radio. We didn't even know what they look like, I guess, a few generations yeah. back, right? So it just yeah. seems to be, you know, they're so dehumanized. And, um, and yeah. I think a lot of people even little kids growing up, do they want to be president one day? I mean, who wants to sign up for that? It's, it's a hard gig knowing you're going to be, you know, treated that way in some way. So it's just good to remember that they're human beings, right? With flaws and all that. Yeah. Well, the, the other, the other thing I had, you know, politically, you know, the golden coin of the realm is authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it. That's, yeah. that's it. You know, if and when a candidate can come across as super authentic, they win. And I could go back through history and talk about every election. Yeah. You know, I mean, so 
So, you know, it's that ability to sort of, you know, be oneself and, you know, let that super, that God-given superpower of, you know, your own authenticity out is, is you know, one's greatest superpower, president or otherwise, I would argue. Yeah, and yet so scary because we've seen how that just opening back that curtain on yourself and opening up yourself to the world and to all that scrutiny is terrifying like who really wants that you know because the world can be really cruel the u.s particularly be really cruel and so i guess that kind of leads into my next question which is you know it wouldn't be a full conversation about voting in the u.s in 2020 without mentioning the very obvious which is that it's so polarized and it has been you know for a while some people point to particular moments in time but it certainly has been a a steady slide and downward direction when it comes to our ability to get along with one another and uh, on different sides of the political spectrum or whatever. And so I guess there used to be sort of this concept of working across the aisle, at least somewhat, that, you know, we remember. But I don't know, what are your thoughts around that? Is there a way we could actually come together more as a nation? And if you think there is, like, what would that be? Yeah, it's hard, right? I mean, you know, it's like, do I do I unfriend the person on Facebook who's posting this stuff I don't agree with, right? I mean, that's, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, the people who are picking a fight, I mean, it's... You know, and, and the other, you know, thing, you know, it, it's, it's funny, you know, people, you know, this whole thing, people, well, you should never talk to friends about politics or religion, you know, which just makes my head explode because that's all I want to talk about. Right? <laughs> I know, right. And, and it's like, um, you know, and it's good that I would argue that people talk about that stuff because even when they don't talk about that stuff, when they grow up to be grownups, right? Yeah. They, they don't have the social skills to freaking talk about that stuff. And then yeah. we, we have revolutions and civil wars and coups and bad things happen right yeah. so so i think it's vital that you know we have this this dialogue and you know truth be told what a terrible country we would have if everybody had the same political beliefs yeah right? and so this becomes a question of i think of diversity frankly right and you know and and you know our 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 nation's greatest, one of our nation's greatest strengths is its diversity. And you can talk about race and ethnicity and age and background and geography. But part of that is, is you know, political beliefs and that we have a diversity of political opinion. We've had it since our country was founded. Yeah. So I think that's really important because hopefully what comes out of that is the wisdom of the crowd. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the extremes get canceled out. But what that depends on, you know, is you know, our ability to get rid of stuff like fake news and, and to believe in facts and to have truth and, to, you know, and to have sort of civil society institutions that people trust, you know, certain news outlets that people trust or, or government agencies that people can trust. That's really, really important. Yeah. So, so we've got to have it. But in terms of sort of the, you know, the citizen, the, the domestic citizen diplomacy, right? The domestic citizen, the citizen stuff, it's hard. It's, it's hard. And I think it, it, you know, where I found success is part of it's the hate together thing, right? I mean, yeah. I can hang out with, you know, people of the opposite political persuasion if, as long, so long as there's things that we both hate. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> that, that helps. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it also goes back to dealing with people where they are. You know, not necessarily where you think they, they should be. And, you know, truth be told, Lori, you and your husband are, are better people than I am on this, right? Oh, I mean, please. in terms of, you know, of, of dealing dealing with people where they are. And sometimes that can be so hard. Yeah. You know, especially when, you know, people say, well, politics, it's nothing personal. It, what, it's the most personal thing. Yeah. Right? If somebody's, if somebody's making an argument about who can get married and who can't, or if somebody's making an argument about who can have health care and who can't, or, or yeah. you know, who, who's going to get separated from their kids at the border. I mean, what, what could be more personal? Yeah. Right? So it is very, very 
personal. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, even though it is personal, you know, one's got to have this, try and do their best to maintain this openness to dealing with people where they are to hopefully find common ground um, someplace. Um, we've done it before in this country. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just leave you with one of my favorite quotes is, is uh, this is what Bill Clinton quote. He, he said, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be fixed with what's right with America. You know, mm. and I love that. That's is, good. is that, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfinished pyramid, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it is, it's more, yeah, just a matter of perspective, right? We can always find something in common. Like, um, you know, some of my greatest friends Hopefully. in the world are Muslim. And I don't agree yeah. with, you know, the ways we're talking about the afterlife and, and the process of all these things here on Earth. They're, they're so different. But um, we can have very, very different worldviews come from opposite ends of you know even the way we should dress and what matters in terms of like what's considered polite or what's what's able to be eaten should we eat pork or not like all these conversations we can be on very very different points of view and yet we have so much more in common with people than we often realize and I guess that's my hope too is that that this nation can can focus more on that I think the politics you know, and those conversations do matter. And I agree with you. I enjoy talking about politics, even though people say you're not supposed to. But it does grieve me coming back to a U.S. Um, it's so polarized where we don't get to have the conversations with as many people as we once did because of how we're pitted against each other so much. And in in the, I guess the narratives that we tell ourselves is really important. Um, some of the narratives are that you're not allowed or it's going to just ruin friendships. And, and we see it happening. Yeah, that's horseshit. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, I mean, but, I mean, you're right. The narrative's out there, but I'm just like, yeah. No. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing you find, Lori, is you get the people who are like, well, I'm going to move to Canada. Yeah. You know, or, oh, <laughs> right. I'm going to leave the country. I can't, you know, this isn't my country. And that yeah. drives me crazy because, you know what, I go back to the we the people thing. It is your country, man. Yeah. You know, it is yours. Nobody can take it away from you. Even, and this goes back to growing up overseas. You're like, well, I didn't grow up here. I don't relate to people here. It can't be my country. Mm. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. Nobody can take that away from you. Um, yeah. That's a good perspective. And it's like, you know, we, we just finished a series on immigration and it's like, we, we want to, at least for me, my posture is I love welcoming immigrants here. I want it to be their country too, because they want it, they want it more than I want it. And so they should definitely be able to be a part of it because it is such a beautiful thing. Like you said, with the diversity of this nation, it really is one of the things that it just makes it so great. It's not perfect, it's far from perfect, but it is a really great place that we have historically, you know, welcomed so many people. Yeah, and I even, you know, I mean, I've, you know, I like to, I, you know, I go back to the, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a sheep in wolf's clothing. You know, this is why we <laughs> swear a lot in DC, right? It's, it, it's you know, some people, some people approach this stuff from the realm of the should, right? Well, it's, you know, this is where, you know, this is where I need to go to Sunday school more, Laura, because I'm breathing my kids like they're godless heathens. You, you and Jason got to help me out. You know, this idea that the realm, you know, and, and where I've gotten to is, you know, the pragmatic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we should have diversity in this country. And, and maybe, you know, maybe there's some moral truth reason that it's a good thing. Okay, fine. But there's also a super pragmatic reason. Which is means when we have diversity, we're stronger. Yeah. Just like any system is stronger oh, when yeah. it's more diverse, right? Yeah. And this is like environmentalism. Well, we should we should save the trees. Really? Should we? That depends on your you know your values, and that's there for everybody. But I can make you want to save the trees because it you make money. See, you know, so you can do both this time. You know, we should have so you know solar energy. Great. Make it economical. 
you yeah. know, make it worth people, you know, regardless of their values, you know, that, you know, this is where, you know, find something that's got teeth, you know, that's what I want in terms of, you know, public policy and, and the, and the people that, that get elected, you know, it, it, this sometimes, you know, people that mean well, they, they get stuck in this realm of the should, and that's fine, you know, for, but in terms of politics, in terms of policy, man, it's got to have teeth. It's got to, it's got to, it's got to be worth it for people. And a lot yeah. of times it's in their pocketbook yeah. um, or something. Again, it's one perspective, but yeah, um, no, it's, it's important. I think all the perspectives are, are important to, to bring into that conversation. I mean, it's such a big thing, right? So, I mean, you talked earlier, like how you traveled overseas with the first lady and the president and, um, and you're seeing all these negotiations happen, your trade agreements and, you know, um, the diplomacy side and, when it comes to negotiations, there's a little bit of give and a little bit of take, and, and it takes a lot of um, intelligence. It takes a lot of, uh, you know, letting people speak into that. And I think for me, just one of the greatest uh, qualities in a president or any leader is just like what you said, a diversity around them. I mean, even even in, you know, tech, you know, here in Silicon Valley, like there's these diversity and inclusion jobs where they know that like the more diverse like the better that product is going to be if you're trying to reach india and china with your iphone like you're going to want to make sure that works in australia and europe and everywhere so when it comes to u.s presidents i just think one of the greatest qualities is having people around you that aren't just yes men that agree with you and look like you and act exactly like you and grew up like you but if you're wanting to reach an entire nation of the united states with your policies and much less an entire world wouldn't it be better to have more diversity of opinions around you? So when you saw like the president and the first lady traveling overseas, like what would you say were some of your takeaways as to why it matters to elect someone who will represent the diversity of U.S. citizens overseas? Yeah, I mean, that, that speak truth to power thing is, is tough. And I was even in positions where, you know, and I was just a kid, I was 20 something, you know, where I had to do that. And that is scary. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. You know, that is so, but it's worth it, right? And, yeah. and when you're working for a leader, you know, good leaders reward that. They may not reward it in the three minutes after you deliver that information, <laughs> <laughs> but, but eventually they, they reward it, right? Yeah. You know, because um, again, it's one leg at a time. Everybody's a human there, you know, they have the emotional reactions that they have, but, um, but but yeah but but long term you know leaders who can um, surround themselves with diversity who aren't threatened by it um, who listen um, it's it's real it's really important because I mean our, you know look our country's big it's complicated and nobody knows everything I mean that was one of my most most important lessons that I you know as I you know sort of do career stuff now and, and helping hopefully the next generation of our nation's leaders develop and, and kick ass is one of my most important leaders or important lessons that I can offer is what I call the I don't know lesson. Right? Yeah. I learned this at the White House, right? Airplanes have crashed because somebody thought there was gasoline in the gas tank, right? So mm -hmm. I sort of tried to eliminate the words I think from my vocabulary, right? <laughs> you either know or you don't know. And if you don't know, there's only one correct answer. And that is, I don't know. And that's okay. Yeah. Because, and then you can offer to find out, right? And so, you know, when, when you're dealing with, with presidents or whatever, it's so much better to say, I don't know, than to say, I think. Um, because I think means you don't know. <laughs> and if you don't know, that could lead to really terrible things. So, I mean, that yeah. was one of the most, you know, is, is leaders who are okay with people not knowing stuff. Yeah. Um, that's better if you happen to know it, it's more convenient. But, um, 
but as a leader, you got it. And as a parent and as a teacher, you know, we, we, you know, I think it's vital that, that we're okay with people not knowing everything because who does? No, right? exactly. Google? Yeah, I mean, but <laughs> right. other than that, nobody knows everything. Nobody knows everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I really, I have somebody that um, is a leader I respect recently this past week and just a couple of times said, I don't know. And it was like, you know, my level of respect just increased for that person yeah. because it was one of those, if you pretend you know and you don't, I'm going to be able to sniff that out. <laughs> you know, people know. And when yeah. you try to fake it, like it doesn't help. It's that whole authenticity piece like you talked about. And people don't need leaders to know everything. Like you said, they don't nice. expect that. But it's just that humility of being like, I just don't know, but like, let's figure it out together. And then yep. you feel like you can follow a person like that. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. we talked about polarized America earlier and some things have just been this way forever. We do have a two party system, but some people aren't just Republican or Democrat. They might be independent or libertarian or green party or, or whatever um, party they resonate with the most. But as people are going to the polls, over the next few days and as they listen to this maybe even the same day kind of what is something you hope people consider this round when they vote for president yeah i mean it's interesting with you know the the, the two-party things right i mean because there's lots of people who are like well i don't like either of them i want to vote my own person and of course the reason we have two parties is largely driven by electoral college right yeah and so there's been a lot of calls especially you know the after the ptsd i have from 2016 i know know, (laughs) let's do something with the electoral college and of course you know small states are like no we don't want that and you know and it goes back to our founding and you know there's reasons to maintain it but um but you know i would i would just say you know if if somebody is in a position where they um are you know not feel like they're not represented by one of the two major parties then the way around that is the electoral college and looking at who is in favor of reforming that right and that's your ticket there yeah um but i mean largely i mean it's hard to ignore that you know our nation's in the middle of this of this pandemic right i mean it overshadows everything yep um as it should and you know we, we we've, we've got to have our act together on this and um you know i mean this is tough stuff i mean um and you know if you look at you look at some of the data, I mean, the United States is doing arguably worse than just about anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find a statistic where we're doing better. I know. It's really hard. And so, um, we got to do better, right? We got to do, and we can. Yeah. You know, the other thing that occurs to me, and this happened after 9-11 too, is, is, you, you know, Americans can be pretty good at sacrificing. I know it sounds crazy in sort of the era of, you know, the Kardashians and, you know, all, the, you know, all these, you <laughs> And know, Kanye things. West on the ballot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, we're, but we can be pretty, we've sacrificed before, right? And, you know, and that was one of the things that wasn't so great after 9-11 is we didn't really ask, ask Americans to sacrifice that much. Um, you know, a lot of people wanted to, and it was, there wasn't really a guy was like, hey, go shopping, keep the economy going. Um, and that's kind of been a theme with COVID, um, it, you know, is we haven't really been asked to sacrifice. I mean, there's been shutdowns and wear a mask and, you know, but I, I, I think, I think um, if we had leadership that was just brutally honest and instead of saying everything's going to be okay, they said, you know what? We don't know, but we're going to find out and we're going to deal with it. I think that would resonate with a lot more people. And so this is the next election is really important in that regard. Um, you know, and there's all sorts of questions around, you know, 
mail-in ballots and late voting and you know we'll see you know the supreme court so we'll see what happens on on november 3rd um but uh but uh, i keep thinking of that that quote about you know um about you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with america that can't be fixed with what's right about america which is very optimistic it's very exceptionalist um but uh that's that's what i hope um the other thing i, I just threw out there just an idea and i'm sorry to filibuster <laughs> Is this idea about, you know, strong and wrong will always be weak and right. Mm. Strong and wrong will always be weak and right, which means if somebody's strong and wrong, you know, there's a good chance that they'll, just because of the confidence they show, that they'll, they'll drown out the, the opponent that's, that's weak and right, which means that we want to elect leaders that are strong and right because that means strong and wrong every time yeah but it means a leader's got to be strong they got to be strong and right and that's what i'm getting to about they can't live in the realm of the should you know their policies have to have teeth and they've got to hit people in the pocketbook or where you know where it matters um to where the rubber meets the road we don't have time to mess around with the should right we got to do what the is where people are blah 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 sorry to get on my soapbox but <laughs> no, I love your soapboxes. They're yeah. so informed. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. I agree. There is, um, you know, there's just an American cultural value for that kind of strength that looks very American. Every culture mm. has their version of it. Um, mm. and, and a lot of Asian cultures, there's still a strength, but it looks so different. Exactly. More, it's more subtle. But at yes. least in the U.S., we do expect it to look very, you know, a certain way. And, um, and it's important because yeah. it's just, it's a part of the culture. It's important to consider and what's it going to take to lead in this context, you know, here in this nation. And, and I think, yeah. you know, but we want to go for right. We want to go for character. I think character really yeah. matters. And even though generations have changed and people view things differently, I just think at the end of the day, we want to be able to trust a leader to do the right thing. And, yeah. um, and, and, so, and you know, yeah. that, that, that cross-cultural thing, I mean, I think of somebody like Gandhi, right? Yeah. I mean, dude, that dude was strong. Yeah, you know? I, mean, I know. No, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't go out, you know, and beat his chest, right? But I mean, <laughs> as you say, he had his own, his culturally, uh, he was strong in his own cultural context. So, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it translates. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I do have hopes and dreams that we can see women as strong enough to have the office yeah. one day. And hopefully we will. That's that's the dream I have for my, you know, kids to be able to see in their lifetime. Hopefully, still in mine as well. Hopefully soon. Um, but yeah, so. we do definitely. We have for so many generations defined that strength of a top leader as being male. But a lot of nations don't. A lot of nations that we would consider either very patriarchal or very patrilineal have elected women. Um, yeah, right. And, and yet, I mean, what yeah. is up with that? Like, I don't know. It's very bizarre. Right? I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know. Well, speaking um, of hopes and dreams. When you think of your kids, your adorable, precious kids, um, what are your hopes for them when they grow up and start voting? What kind of America do you hope they get to vote into? Yeah, this goes, you know, to everybody having the opportunity to reach their God-given potential, right? I mean, that's really what government's for. I mean, if you ask me. Because, I mean, all of us are really, at the end of the day, we're all looking out for, you know, our family and friends and, you know, making sure everybody's healthy, making sure everybody has a chance. Right? Yeah. And that's what good government does. Good government, you know, provides equal opportunity, right? That's what it, that's, that's it. I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, it keeps people, it's supposed to keep people safe, keep people fed, you know, keep people healthy, 
you know, it's not, it's not super complicated. I mean, the, the basic things that government, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, boom, there you go. You know, it's right there. And so, you know, that's what I hope for my kids. You know, I want them, you know, and all kids, frankly, all people yeah, to reach their God given potential. And the thing that drives me crazy is, is so many of us don't, you know, we can all be doing so much more than we do. Right. And we're all, you know, so many of us are held back by, you know, these fears and, you know, that we have. And, and so if and when we can have leaders in government that help us get around those fears and those limiting beliefs, that's the person I want to vote for, for sure. Yeah. Oh man, that's so awesome. I, when I think about your kids growing up and reaching their God-given potential, it just makes me smile. (laughs) Yeah. That's it, man. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's it. That's so great. That's so the great. whole ball game, I, I would argue. Yes, we're going to dream for that. We're going to vote for that. We're going to pray for that. We're going to hopefully see that happen when your kids get old enough to vote. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the last thing I want to camp out on here, because I know you have like a gazillion stories, because I've heard so many of them, and I would love to hear all of them, and you should just write like five books someday. But like, what is one story from your time in the White House that you feel like captures kind of what you hope U.S. citizens will consider when they're starting to cast their vote for the person who will lead this nation for the next four years. Yeah, I, I, do, I do have a lot of stories, but um, <laughs> I think the, the one I think about a lot, um, it sort of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, that American family that, that comes to our nation's capital and, you know, and sees a place like the Smithsonian or, you know, our national monuments and, you know, and feels, feels inspired, feels inspired to reach their God-given potential. And so, you know, one of my... <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is I, I had a I had a deal where I was and this goes back to you know you know just all you know White House is just an all fancy office building really right so my deal was when I was sitting in the first lady's office if somebody called I didn't advertise this but if somebody called and said hey can can we get can we get into the White House can can we get tickets on behalf of the first lady I would do it <laughs> that was my deal that was my rule. And so I would get all sorts of people calling just, you know, just on a lark thinking there's no way that, and you know, they tell me who they were and where they're from and they're like, okay, what time are you going to be here? And there was a deal where, um, if you were a white house pass holder, you could, um, put six people to the head of the tour line. Right. So I only had one pass. So I would get a, a school group call and be like, you know, we're 30 kids from, Mississippi and we they messed up our tickets and there's no way the first lady can help right I'd be like well sure we can right and I'd be like where are you gonna be when are you gonna be there okay I'll meet you I'll meet you there and they're like are you sure I'm like yeah just have your group in this place at this time and so if there were 30 people right I could only take six so I would literally on my way over to the east wing I would collect interns right <laughs> and use them as human shields because each one of them had a pass <laughs> And I would really be like, these are your six, these are your six, these are your six. And if I had me plus four, that was 30. And, you know, the lady who was in charge of the visitor's office would get so pissed off. But she knew what I was doing and she knew that, you know, and so she, she liked me. She had a sauce on so she, she let me get away with it. This was all pre-9-11 and I, I doubt you could do any of this stuff now. But, yeah. Um, but I love that. And every once in a while, this is one of my favorite things, every once in a while, I would do that and the group wouldn't show or they couldn't find me or they were late or something. So I'd be out there able to put a bunch of people, you know, in, into the head of the line. And I, and I didn't want to waste walking all the way over there. So I'd look around and there would always be a group, a family, just the kids were crying, you know, the parents were losing their mind or, you know, <laughs> it didn't have to be it, but it was, and I'd walk up to them and I'd be like, Hey, 
you trying to get in? And they'd be like, yeah, but we don't have tickets. I'd be like, come on. And they would literally be afraid it was like a terrorist or something, right? I mean, you know, there's secret <laughs> service all around here. You're going to be fine. Just trust me. Right? And I just walk them in. Like, there you go. Kamala's the first lady, you know? And it was just, and, and, it, and it was probably an ego trip for me, but it was also just, just the ability and the privilege to, to, to give somebody that quick inspiration, you know, just was so gratifying. I mean, and it, and, and so it, you know, I think if and when we have leaders and if and when our country, you know, is in a place where, you know, kids can look up to a president or their elected officials or community leaders or whoever that is and be inspired by them and, and want to be like them, that's, that's the strength of our country. Mm. That's frankly, you know, that's the kind of people we should vote for. I would humbly suggest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. That's so good. Yeah. I love that story. It's so Eric Woodard in every way. Yeah. Now you have that crying family. So when you go visit places, you're hoping for Eric Woodards to come bring your family there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Maybe, so. maybe our approach should be that we just pull the kids around the nation and be like, who, who do you want to be like? And then we, we choose our president based on that. <laughs> yeah, we get President Pikachu, right? <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Well, Eric, it's been such an honor and privilege to interview you today. Thank you so much for doing this interview. It's just incredible to have somebody who's experienced firsthand what it means to be in the White House, to be, you know, flying around the world with the president and the first lady. And I really think it's going to help people see it in a whole different light. So thank you for all your stories and your insights. They're just super valuable for all of us. Laura, you are a rock star, as you know. And again, you and your family are some of my favorite people in the world. So, so thank you for, for doing this. Thank you for you know spreading this message. It's vitally needed. And uh, keep it up, and I'll, I'll be listening with everybody else. Thanks, Eric. When all this crazy COVID is over, we're definitely either flying to D.C. or you're flying here. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <Of> course. <laughs> all right. Hugs to your family. Bye, Eric. Okay, bye. Isn't he so great? Oh, <laughs> I wish all of you could just meet him in person for those of you who don't know Eric Woodard. He just always brings a smile to my face. Even somehow the curse words, we can excuse those. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't have any kids in car seats in the back of the car while you're listening to this. But uh, I just, he has so much uh, joy and love and just friendship that he just overflows all the time. And it's just... Uh, so great to think about when we imagine that story he was sharing of him at the White House and giving those families with the crying kids up into the front of the line um, places. And he just, that's just the kind of guy he is. And, you know, there's just something really special about how he, he really, you know, incorporates so much of what he learned growing up in Thailand into his life as an adult living in DC now. And I just knew when he was at the White House interning and then when he actually worked even full-time for the First Lady and um, as a senator, you know, he just brought that international experience into that role and he saw it through the lens of the eyes of what it would look like for, you know, Thai people to experience that or people in Guam where he was a scuba diving instructor. (laughs) Isn't that just such a crazy part of his story? Um, He's just, he's such a he's one of those people he's just so full of life and just like he said fulfilling your god-given potential that's just a desire and a dream he has for all of us for his own kids but for all of us and uh, i hope we can just take that 
message into our lives just right now? I know in COVID, it's hard to imagine fulfilling our potentials fully, but what we're sowing now will reap later and in, in different ways. And, and so the choices we make now really matter. And as we're headed to the polls, it, it really does matter the the issues we care about that we're voting for. You know, we've just finished this immigration series. So certainly having that on our minds and hearts as we go to vote on behalf of the immigrants who have come here maybe as babies and didn't have a chance to fully get a, a citizenship. It's still in process for them. Just like Michelle spoke about on our last podcast where so many of those dreamers came over and have had a really hard time, many of them trying to even get a citizenship and be able to vote. But we who have citizenship and are able to vote and are stewarding our citizenship um, as we're all headed to the polls, have opportunities to think about not just ourselves, but our neighbors within the United States and around the world. Because as we talked about with Eric, the the U.S. president goes all around the world on Air Force One representing us, going to different ambassadors that that president has um, often appointed to be in these other countries like you know, in Singapore, I remember my daughter, who's a Girl Scout, we got to hear the ambassador of Singapore speak to the Girl Scouts. She was an amazing person. And just knowing, you know, when the U.S. president goes to visit, they're relying on those ambassadors to help them with the international relations. The position of U.S. president and vice president and our senators and all the elected officials we have down to the town council level, they really do represent us and it really matters. And and like Eric reminded us today, you know, this is a government in the United States that's by the people and for the people. So if you have U.S. citizenship, then you're a part of it and you're a part of the government and you either choose to vote or you choose not to. And either way, it's a choice. It's a choice we're making. And um, hopefully we will take it seriously. And it's not easy. It's actually very, very complicated. And I'm sure there are as many diverse opinions listening to this podcast today as there are people listening to it. We all have very different nuances, very different reasons that we vote. Um, but I just hope that today we we considered just the perspective of somebody who was inside the White House and saw firsthand, like he said, just the humanity. These are human beings that we're electing and they need our support and they need our prayers and they need our votes. And hopefully those of us who are eligible to vote or voting. If you live in another country around the world and you live in a place where you're able to vote, I know every government is so different, but hopefully there was some sort of takeaway that inspired you today of what it means in your local community and your in your country to make a difference where you are, whether it's through politics or grassroots community efforts or forming coalitions or in the faith-based community starting something new. Uh, hopefully this is a podcast that has encouraged you to think not just of yourself, but those around you that rely on you, because this is a human life that we live and not in isolation as much as American individualism would show us that we're totally individuals and we just make our own way. Most of us around the world are not taught that in that same way, because it's actually not true. Even in the most minute sense that's not true we need each other we are created for community we need families whether we're single or married we we need to be parts of groups of people that encourage us and and spur us on and we can see gifts in each other that we often can't see in ourselves and i don't know how you're experiencing covid the isolation can be very very challenging at times 
And um, I know a lot of people are dealing with very, very dark and difficult days, and it's a very big spectrum of what that looks like. I myself have struggled with online schooling my kids and being at home with them, you know, and trying to make things work out for them and working full time, both my husband and I, and just trying to get a meal on the table some nights just feels like too much. And there's just a huge variety of things that people are experiencing, but hopefully this podcast has reminded each of us that we need to just reach out to one another, and we are definitely stronger and better together. And the diversity that we bring, just like Eric and I talked about, is is beautiful, and we make much better decisions for our own personal lives and certainly for the organizations and governments that we're a part of when we have more diverse opinions because we can see it more broadly. We're less likely to leave something out or miss something when we have more people speaking into those decisions with us. So whatever that looks like for you, virtually or in person, depending on your situation in COVID right now, I just encourage you to reach out to somebody that you find encouraging to spur you on and maybe even find that person that you feel like needs your encouragement to spur them on to, like Eric said, fulfill their God-given potential. So as you do that this week, I'd love to hear any of the stories that you're um, a part of and where that's happening so that we could just encourage one another to be fulfilling that God-given potential that we all have. So carry that with you this week, the joy that Eric Woodard exudes, the way he's making a difference there in, in D.C. through the Smithsonian and all the different spaces where he's at as a husband, as a dad, as a friend who continues to be a good friend to my husband and a lot of those guys that went to international school Bangkok together. So as you're going throughout your lives this week, just reach out to someone, be vulnerable to reach out to someone who would encourage you as well. And let's just be better together and fulfill our God-given potentials together. I hope all of you are voting and we are praying about the election and it's in God's hands at this point. And we, whatever the outcome, let's just be safe. Let's be kind to one another. Let's give each other grace and let's move forward in this country, whatever the outcome is, together toward a more diverse and unified standing together and standing strong in our communities and in our families. God bless each of you, and we'll talk again next week. Bye-bye.